Today on the Matt Wall Show, the media is in full panic-pushing mode over Omicron. Uh, we're told that this that a winter of death and misery is upon us, but how worried should we really be? We'll talk about that. Also, Joe Manchin blocks Biden's agenda. Pope Francis continues his war against conservative Catholics, and students in Fairfax uh, County protest a hate crime that happened at one of the schools. But wait until you hear the totally unexpected twist in that hate crime story. And finally, in our daily cancellation, Mark Zuckerberg has launched his virtual reality metaverse, as he calls it. And the metaverse has already had its first Me Too moment. We'll discuss all of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, as more and more companies are falling all over themselves to appeal to the left, wouldn't it be nice to find one that supports your values? Well, here's one for you, Charity Mobile. They're the pro-life phone company. They partner with you to automatically support the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice with 5% of your monthly plan price. And they've sent millions of dollars to charities so far, and they're gonna send millions more in the future. Um, and there are a lot of great perks as well that you get with this product. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping when you mention offer code Walsh. Plus, you get a free Christmas gift with every phone from Charity Mobile while supplies last. And uh, if you're worried about the hassle of switching, well, well, don't worry about that. Charity Mobile makes it very easy to switch. You can keep your existing phone and uh, phone number, and you may even be able to keep your existing phone as well. But if you need a new phone, there's no problem there either. Charity Mobile has a variety of options from basic flip phones and low-cost smartphones to the latest 5G phones. They also have safe um, phones, flip phones, and that sort of thing with parental controls if you want to get a phone for your kid. Couldn't recommend that highly enough. So switch to Charity Mobile and support the causes you care about. Call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh. Now that COVID has been picked up for a third season with the promising new antagonist, Omnicorn, taking center stage, the panic porn peddlers have ramped up their fear-mongering to levels not seen really since season one. A few days ago, President Joe Biden delivered his holiday greeting to America by promising us a winter of illness and death, which sounds like a line from a Christmas carol that a goth emo band might perform. Businesses across the country are already preemptively closing as we're warned that more lockdowns might be coming. In some localities, schools have already shifted back to virtual learning. Though, of course, virtual learning is a euphemism for not learning anything at all. Millions of kids have already fallen behind academically while suffering severe mental and emotional damage, which has led to unprecedented levels of childhood suicide and self-harm. But the powers that be have decided that uh, not enough trauma has been inflicted on the young. Let's, well, they need even more. So NBC reports this. It says Prince George's County in Maryland on Friday became the first major school district to announce that all students will transition to remote learning as cases surge. The shift to online learning will begin Monday, four days before the start of winter break, and continue for two weeks after school resumes on January 3rd. And then, of course, after those two weeks are over, they're going to say, ah, oh, you know, uh, we might as well just stick with this until the end of the year. In, uh, in New York City, the Department of Education has closed 859 classrooms, quadrupled the number of a month ago, and another nearly 2,500 were partially closed as newly reported COVID-19 infections rose sharply in the city. In upstate New York, officials announced that uh, Oswego City School District was transitioning to remote learning from Friday until December 23rd because of uh, rising COVID cases, with 60 cases since last Sunday and staffing shortages. In Missouri, on Monday, the South Nodaway School Board voted to cancel the rest of the fall semester and resume on January 3rd after the winter break because of district-wide shortages caused by COVID cases. And the St. Roche Catholic School in St. Louis said it would move to virtual classes this week and return after the winter break because too many students and teachers are out sick. Now, again, you know, caveat on all that, once again, is that um, 
this is these are temporary measures, and we already know what happens with temporary COVID measures. Uh, pretty soon, temporary becomes a month, two months, and then uh, I, I think for a lot of these schools, we're going to go to it's going to be summer break. We're going back to summer break, uh, and then uh, well, you know, maybe in the fall, we'll we'll see about opening schools again. Meanwhile, the director of the NIH, Francis Collins, has said that we could be facing a million cases a day thanks to Omnicorn in the near future. Now, then again, Collins has apparently lost his mind as he broke into song shortly after saying this. Somewhere past the pandemic When we're free There's a life I remember Full of activity. Sorry, but I'm sure you understand that I can't mention the name Francis Collins on the show now without playing part of that clip. Now, luckily for you, he's retiring, so there shouldn't be a reason in the future to mention him unless I come up with one, which I'll try. Dr. Leanna Wen, former Planned Parenthood head, current cable news talking head, was singing her own sad song on CNN this morning as she delivered instructions on what you must do if you want to see your family over the holiday, here's uh, Dr. Leanna, Leanna Wen. Your two out of three rule for safe interactions, Dr. Wen. Explain to people what that is. For people who are gathering indoors over the holidays, I would recommend at this point when there's so much virus around us that you have two out of the three things, vaccination, testing, or masking. So if you are fully vaccinated and ideally boosted and you want to see other people indoors without a mask, meaning maybe you want to have dinner with them, ideally everybody also gets tested that same day with a rapid test. Now I know that tests are hard to come by in some parts of the country, but that's the ideal is that you get tested. If you're going to be, if nobody is vaccinated or if there's some people there who are unvaccinated, if you're getting together, you should be masked and you should be tested. Basically, you should have two out of three things, vaccination, testing or masking at this point with that much virus around us. Really quickly, in terms of testing, as you said, it needs to be done that same day. So if you took a test, let's say Christmas Eve and you're meeting up with people on Christmas, you were negative on Christmas Eve doesn't mean you still are Christmas Day. That's exactly right. The closer your test is to when you're gathering with people, the better. And I think this is something that the Biden administration really needs to work on. They've done so well when it comes to vaccinations. That's great. But they now need to put the same amount of effort to increasing access to testing. Why not mail test to every American? Why not have to use the UK or Germany or so many other approaches from around the world where everybody is able to get tests? Testing should not be the limiting factor. Yeah, why not? Why not test everyone? Well, there's a bunch of reasons why not. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Fauci had a similar message on ABC, cautioning Americans that they're permitted to celebrate Christmas in his magnanimity. He will allow it under certain circumstances, but they must not attend any gatherings unless they've obtained the personal medical records of everybody in attendance beforehand. You said earlier this week that if you're vaccinated, you should feel comfortable traveling and, and celebrating the holidays with, with your family. Uh, do, you, do you still believe that? No, I do. If you are vaccinated and boosted and are prudent when you travel, when you're in an airport, to be wearing a mask all the time, you have to be wearing a mask on a plane. Uh, do not do things like go to gatherings where there are people who you do not know what their vaccination status is. Do not. 
It's, he's not recommending. This isn't a suggestion. Do not. Fauci is, of course, still pretending that the unvaccinated are the primary drivers of COVID transmission. But right now, there's a COVID breakout in the Senate to include Senators Booker and Warren. There's a breakout in the NFL, taking dozens of players out of their games this week. And they had to rearrange a bunch of games, cancel some games. There are breakouts everywhere and often in places where almost everyone is vaccinated. So the dirty little secret, which is not a secret at all, is that the vaccine does not prevent transmission. This is an undeniable fact. But guys like Fauci are not eager to acknowledge it, because if they did, then they would lose the moral high ground over the dreaded unvaccinated. You know, if the unvaccinated are simply taking a risk with their own health, there's no reason to condemn them. There's no reason to be angry at them. Just making their own decision. They make for unconvincing villains in this story if their vaccination decision is a mere personal matter. But Fauci and company need their villains, and that's why they gloss over the fact that vaccinated people are also spreading COVID. They're not going to change their approach or messaging no matter what. We are going, again, into our third year of COVID with, they say, record numbers of cases, and yet they say all the measures we've taken to fight COVID have totally worked, and we should keep doing the same thing indefinitely. COVID is worse than it's ever been, they say, but their recommendations for stopping COVID have absolutely worked, and you must not question those recommendations. Cognitive dissonance is the real disease here, I would say. Here's the other fact that they seem not so eager to highlight. Omnicorn, according to the available data, is extremely, extremely mild, according to the data. Ben Shapiro posted these graphs this morning on his Twitter, which sum everything up quite nicely, I think. COVID data out of UK. This is, this is out of the UK. And in one graph, you can see uh, cases spiking to a level that we haven't seen all year. That's a, that's a big, scary spike in cases that you can see on the graph. But then the other, you can see deaths hardly spiking at all. So the cases graph looks like a mountain. The deaths graph looks like a, a molehill. Other data seems to show that hospitalizations in South Africa, where all this started with Omnicorn, dropped by 90%, while the death rate for people who were hospitalized dropped by 75%. Again, that's a, that's a, that's a 75% dr drop in deaths for hospitalized people specifically. COVID was already a mostly non-fatal illness, mostly, and even less fatal than the numbers suggest. Listen to this report on studyfinds.org. This is from this morning. It says 4 in 10 COVID-19 patients are asymptomatic carriers of the virus responsible for over 800,000 deaths in the United States. Researchers from China say a global study of almost 30 million people found silent cases of the virus are twice as prevalent than previous estimates feared. The results show 40.5% of the confirmed cases of the illness are among people who show no symptoms of the infection at all. Rates rose among certain groups, including pregnant women, air and cruise travelers, and care home residents or staff. Now, this is presented as a bad thing, but it underscores how mild COVID has been for millions of people. Not for everybody, but for millions. But it also means, more importantly, that many millions more, you know, uh, many millions more certainly had COVID, but they never counted as a case because they never knew there was any reason to get tested. This would mean that the actual mortality rate for COVID is significantly lower than it appears. And Omnicorn is 30 or 40 times less lethal than that. This is all good news, even if it's presented to us like a tragedy. 
Well, I should say, good news, relatively speaking, right? The very low lethality of COVID generally, and Omnicorn specifically, is good news given that COVID was unleashed on us by China and we now live in a world where it exists. Like, given that fact, this is good news in, in relation to that. Now, the best possible news, if we could live in a world, any world we wanted, would be for COVID to go away. And while we're in that fantasy land, we might as well snap our fingers and make cancer disappear too. And it could take diabetes and arthritis and Alzheimer's along with it. That would be the best scenario, right? I would very much prefer that. But unfortunately, that's not on the menu. A world without COVID is not an option and will never be an option probably. Thanks to China, we exist in a reality where COVID also exists and will always exist. It's not ever going away. So just put that out of your mind. Don't don't fantasize about a future point where we no longer have to hear about COVID or worry about it. That's not going to happen. You know, don't hold on to that hope. Let go of the hope. Throw it over a cliff. Let it shatter on the rocks below. We will always live in a world with COVID, which means that your personal COVID prevention strategy must be one that you can live with for the rest of your life. If your personal COVID prevention strategy isn't something you can live with for the rest of your life, you need a new strategy because COVID will be here forever. Find a way to live with it or let it ruin your life. Those are your choices. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, if you're like me and you were born into a world back in ancient times before the internet took over our lives and everything in our life was contained just on the phone we carry around in our pocket, um, then uh, if, you're, if you're like me, that means that you have all many, many memories from your childhood contained on what are now antiquated technologies like you know physical pictures and VHS tapes and that sort of thing. Um, and the problem with that is that, uh, is that you, you, where do you keep them? Keep them in a box somewhere where they can easily get destroyed. We've had flooding in our basement before. We've lost lots of, uh, of um, things that we cherish from our, from our childhood. And that's why I have used Legacy Box, and I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a very easy to use. Leg- Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to reclaim all the priceless footage you haven't seen in years. You send in your Legacy Box filled with aging VHS tapes, camcorder tapes, film reels, and pictures. Their team of... Um, Professionals digitize everything by hand at their uh, huge production campus right here in the USA. And uh, then they just send it back to you. It's really as simple as that. You put it in a box, you send it to them. They take care of everything. They put that in a box and send it back to you. And um, now you're going to have all of those priceless memories in technology that uh, is efficient that you have access to anytime you need it. And it'll also be safe from damage or anything else. With Christmas just around the corner, there's no, there's still time to buy the best Christmas gift ever, Legacy Box. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Walsh to take advantage of an exclusive discount for listeners. Legacy Boxes are still in stock and ready to ship. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Walsh for an exclusive offer. That's LegacyBox.com slash Walsh. Well, we're still having Christmas in my house. I don't know about uh, Fauci or you know anybody else. And uh, hopefully you've got your, your Christmas shopping done um, I, all of my Christmas shopping is done because as I rave about every year, and I have to say it once again, is um, <clears throat> around the holidays, especially it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's why I, ca- I cannot recommend marriage highly enough. There, there are a lot of reasons why I recommend marriage, but especially as a man, um, you know, the holidays used to be pretty stressful for me because I had to go out and I had to shop for all these people. And to, 
and now that I have a wife, she just does, she does all of that. I don't have to do any Christmas shopping. It's, it's tremendous. It's like a totally stress-free environment for me. And, and she enjoys it. She likes shopping for doing Christmas shopping. So it's really, it's a, I, I am blessing her by, you know, giving her that chore to do, you know, in a way, really. Um, I just, I'm assigned, like she does, she buys gifts for everybody. And she, so she buys 50,000 gifts. And then I'm assigned, of course, I buy a gift for her. So I do, I do that. Um, I don't usually put her in charge of buying her own gift. But then she'll assign me like a couple of people. She'll say, oh, can you just get that and that? And so this year I was assigned to get a couple of things for, um, for uh, my, my oldest son. And so I've decided to get him. Uh, I went to Bass Pro Shops this, uh, this weekend and I got him a pocket knife and a BB gun. So I'm getting them both. I, I can't tell you that's the best decision in the world, but I, I know he'll enjoy it. It'll be his best Christmas ever. You know, and I, and I, because I, I, I've been thinking about this, do I want to get him something like that for, for Christmas? I think he's old enough. Like, he's responsible enough. We, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're, I, I think it's good for a boy to have a, you know, Swiss Army knife and a, a BB gun. Um, and, I'm, and I'm trying to convince, convince myself that was the right decision. He's responsible enough. But then he does things that make me second guess it. So I, you know, I went and I got him this stuff. And then yesterday we were outside and he was climbing a tree, and he shouts to me. He says, "Daddy, could I jump from here?" And I look up. And I'm like, "You're 40 feet up. We, no, you. That's you're just that's suicide." I'm thinking maybe the pocket knife wasn't the best decision. He's gonna take that pocket knife, Daddy. Can I stab myself in the eye? We'll see. Uh, but that's what happens when you put me in charge of uh, of buying the gifts. I buy dangerous objects and weapons. That's what I do. Okay, a couple other COVID-related items here. Um, first of all, we have de Blasio, very impressed with himself, talking about why mandates are great policies, and they, they really work really well, he says. Uh, let's listen to him. People want to lead their lives. I and mean, the hard thing, and, you know, I feel it here in New York City. Yeah. By the way, I'm from Philadelphia, so it's not like I, 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 I live in a rural area, um, but I feel it in every block that I walk in New York City. But if I were in the middle part of the country with you, I don't think we'd see masks. I don't think we'd be showing our vax cards anywhere. So I come back to that point where unless everybody's on the same page in the country, we're kind of screwed. And you know how you get on the same page? People have to lead. So look, I believe with enough leadership, enough mandates, we're going to get a hell of a lot more people vaccinated. The more people vaccinated, the more we actually make the transition to a time when COVID is in the background, not the foreground. And we know these mandates work and we know people respond. Look, human beings are pretty predictable. If you say your paycheck depends on it or your ability to enjoy life and go do the things you want to do, people will make the practical decision overwhelmingly and they'll go get vaccinated. But we aren't pushing hard enough. We got to go farther. Yeah. So de Blasio has discovered uh, the, the secret here. Apparently, if you threaten people and you say, I'll take your livelihood away and I'll, I'll, I'll take away your ability to feed your family. And I'll make your kids starve if you don't do as I say. They'll do as you say. Amazing. This is a what a what a this guy's like a. He was a, he's a an expert in in human psychology. I guess we could say the same of uh, of you know a, a lot of the, the armed robbers who many of them you could find in New York City. What they they've they've made similar discoveries, which is that um, uh, you know amazingly. If they pull out a gun and they put it to someone's head and they say, give me your money, most people will give the money because they don't want to die. 
of course, the, but then there's the, that leaves the, the whole moral and ethical question of, is it okay to manipulate people in that way, to coerce behavior in that way? Is it okay to threaten to take people's livelihood away because they're not doing as you say? To treat them like criminals when they're not criminals? To um, coerce people into making medical decisions? Is that morally okay? But of course, for him, morality has nothing to do with it. And also, keep notice something else that he said there. He said, well, we want to go from a point where COVID is in the background rather than the foreground. So they're not even pretending anymore, for the most part. I mean, yeah, you have Francis Collins singing about how uh, one, one day when we're past the pandemic, like being over the rainbow. But of course, that, that's, that's like a mythical place. So you still have a little bit of that. But most of these people are like de Blasio. They're, if you listen to what they're saying, they're telling you this, it's, it's, it's never going away. It's just background or foreground. But background or foreground is relative. Okay? It's, it, that all depends on where you position yourself. What happens to be in the background or in the foreground, that depends on where you are standing, where you have decided to position yourself. Now, a lot of us have been living... Just as they, they said in, the, in the, the beginning of that clip. A lot of people are living in places like in Nashville here where I live. COVID is very much in the background. Far in the background. Because that's how people have chosen to live. It's in the foreground in New York because people have chosen to live their lives you know, staring at COVID every single day and talking about it. And they've, they've even decided to incorporate it into their lives to that extent. But that's a choice. That has nothing to do with, with, um, with COVID itself per se. It's your choice how you decide you want to react to it. And what I can tell you, to reiterate the point in, in the opening, if you ever want to live with COVID merely in the background, then that's a decision you have to make in your own life to live that way. And at this point, part of that decision might be you've got to move away from places like New York. Because in New York, they're not going to give you that option. It's always going to be in the foreground. So that, that, that in a way, that's the right way of putting it. But of course, he wants you to learn the wrong lessons from that. It's background or foreground. And, uh, and, but it is in the background. You know, it, 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 it will still be there. And it's going to be in the background with a lot of other terrible things. And there, but there will come a time when, when the background becomes more of the foreground for you. If you get sick with COVID, now it's less of a background thing. And when that happens, you deal with it. Cross that bridge when you come to it. Um, related, in a, President Trump was interviewed on Fox a couple days ago. And he was asked uh, a, a question that I'm, I'm glad someone finally decided to ask him, which is, why didn't you fire Fauci when you had the chance? You, you could have done that and you didn't. And uh, here's his reason for that. Fauci, um, Fauci, Anthony Fauci misled the Senate when he said that the NIH did not fund the gain of function research. Um, should you have fired Fauci? So a lot of people ask me that question and I did it right. Because if you do fire him, you're going to have a firestorm on the left again, as usual. Um, and I didn't listen to him. If you think about it. 
He wanted to keep our country open to China, and I closed it. He wanted to keep our country open to Europe, and I closed it. He talked about masks being no good. Well, I'm not a huge mask believer, but I think they have some purpose. And now he's a radical masker. I mean, everything he's done, he's a great promoter. He's a bad pitcher. He was telling me what a great athlete he was. I said, you can't throw a baseball 15 feet. I, I never saw it. That was, other than President Obama, it may be the worst throw I've ever seen to home plate. Uh, no, I think I did the right thing because we would have had a firestorm. Less of a firestorm now if he was fired because he's been wrong so often. But if you think of it, he wanted to keep our country open to China, Europe, and all these places, and I didn't do it. <laughs> okay. So you didn't do the right thing because the left would have been mad at you. That's what he said. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's not a straw man. I'm not making a caricature of what he said. I mean, that, that's you heard him. It's what he said. It's obviously the right thing. He says all, all, all along he was, he was trying not to listen to, to Fauci. He's incompetent. So you know he's incompetent. You're not going to listen to him, but you let him stay in that position. And the reason is that, he, that the left would have been mad there would have been a firestorm. There's a firestorm every day. They're mad about everything. They hate your guts. They impeached you twice. Oh, if I, they, would, they would have done it a third time if I had fired them. Maybe they would have. So what? There's always a firestorm on the left. They're going to hate everything you do, especially if you're Donald Trump. But if you're on the right at all, they're going to hate everything you do. What kind of reasoning is this? If any other Republican had said that, in any other context, they were asked, uh, well, why didn't you do X, Y, Z thing? If that reason was, oh, there'd be a firestorm on the left, we, we would, they'd get killed over that on the right by people like me. Every conservative talk show, every conservative would be, would be killing them for that. And Trump deserves the same treatment. Okay, he's not special. That is cowardly, stupid reasoning. I'm not surprised that there, there couldn't have been a good reason. You have the ability to fire him and you don't. And then you wait until you're out of office to complain about him. How about doing the right thing when you have the, the power to do it? Of course, there are many examples of this with Trump where he had the power to do things, didn't do it gets out of office, and then talks about how he wishes those things were done. Well, who do you blame for that? And then he starts talking about Fauci as, as bad at throwing a baseball. How is... Yes, he is, but how is... Th this is your chance to talk about Fauci, and you, you spend 60 seconds talking about why he's, why he's bad, and 15 of those seconds are spent on him throwing a baseball? That's not exactly the point, is it? If I were to list the top 100 things I dislike about Anthony Fauci, uh, the baseball's not making the top 100. But for Trump, that's like in the top five, apparently. Yep, I, the audience doesn't like it when I, when I talk about this, but it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the case. 2024 is going to be here before we know it. Do we want a 78-year-old Trump who doesn't do the right thing because he's afraid of firestorms on the left. Um, who, you know, his, his last act as president was to pardon a bunch of rappers. 
And the, the former, uh, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the for, former mayor of, uh, I think it was Detroit, Kilpatrick, one of the most absurdly corrupt politicians in modern American history. Corrupt to the point of of farce almost. And he was a Democrat. And Trump pardons him or commutes his sentence on his way out the door. So that's the question. We get to, when we get to 2024, do we want uh, that <clears throat> at 78 years old? Or do we want Ron DeSantis? Somebody who knows how to govern and will govern and will make hard decisions and doesn't give a damn about firestorms on the left. If anything, enjoys it. I mean, with, 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 uh, with DeSantis, he's going to sign a bill. He's going to sign legislation going after the, the, the Biden administration, undercutting the Biden administration. And, and, and not only is he going to do it, but he's going to go to Brandon, Florida to sign it. So that's, that's the question, and that's what's really going to come down to. That's why I, I believe, look, if it is, there's no rational argument that you can make that Trump at 78 years old would be a more effective leader of the country and more effective uh, governor of the country than Ron DeSantis. And I also don't think there's any real argument you can make that Trump would have a better chance in the general election than Ron DeSantis. Um, I think they'd both, it would be a challenge for both of them for all the reasons why it's always a challenge for Republicans. But um, I, you know, I, I don't think that's, that there's that argument. But you can certainly make an argument that Trump would walk away with the nomination in the primary. And he would, probably. That's all the more reason that I think, you know, Trump, if he, if he loves the country, then he will step aside and, 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 and pass the baton to Ron DeSantis, endorse him, give him a, a, a thorough, passionate endorsement, and step aside and let, and let Ron DeSantis, a, a, a much younger man who has proven that he's able to govern, let him take the reins. If he jumps in there to keep Ron DeSantis out, then that, to me, that's pure ego. That's putting ego over country, and it wouldn't. It's just not acceptable. I, I don't. I tell you, I don't take this reasoning. I don't take this from anybody. N- none of us should. I don't do the right thing because because the enemy would be mad. Not acceptable. I would go after anybody for saying that. All right. Um, here's someone who actually does the right thing in spite of uh, firestorms. This is a good example here. Joe Manchin. Uh, declared over the weekend that he's going to vote no on Biden's uh, Build Back Better spending bill. And uh, here he is announcing that on Fox News. Uh, I've always said this, Brett. If I can't go home and explain it to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. You're done. This This is a no. This is a no on this legislation. I have tried everything I know to do. And uh, the president has worked diligently. He's been wonderful to work with. He knows I've had concerns and, and, and the problems I've had. Yeah, I think it's a good, a good juxtaposition there. Um, because on one hand, you have, well, I don't want to do the right thing because it's going to make uh, the left mad. And here, Joe Manchin, is, he's actually is a Democrat. So it, for him, it really matters 
what, what the left and what the Democrats think about you because you're on their team. You're on their side. You live in their world. And it would benefit you greatly for them to like you. As a Republican president, you're not going to get the left to like you. And even if you did get some leftists to like, it's not, it's not really going to do anything for you. It's not going to benefit you much. But Joe Manchin doing the right thing in spite of that. So I think that this is, this is, that's what real political bravery looks like. So you got to give him credit for that. Um, next, this is from the AP. It says, Pope Francis doubled down Saturday on his effort to quash the old Latin mass, forbidding the celebration of some sacraments, according to the ancient right in his latest salvo against conservatives and traditionalists. The Vatican's liturgy office issued a document that clarified some questions that arose after Francis in July reimposed restrictions on celebrating the old Latin mass that Pope Benedict XVI had relaxed in 2007. Um, Francis said then that he was reversing his predecessor because Benedict's reform had become a source of division in the church and been exploited by Catholics opposed to the Second Vatican Council. Uh, The Vatican repeated the rationale on Saturday, saying the clarifications and new restrictions were necessary to preserve the unity of the church and its sacraments. Archbishop Arthur Roche, in an introductory note, said, As pastors, we must not lend ourselves to sterile polemic, uh, polemics uh, capable only of creating division in which the ritual itself is often exploited by ideological viewpoints. And then they went through, he, he, this clarification is really, basically it amounts to new rules they're putting down to clamp down on the Latin Mass. And all of that amounts to trying to get rid of it. Um, and, you know, they, of course, the rationales provided are dishonest at best because we're told that this is all about unity in the church and, and that's why. We don't want divisions in the church. Well, part of the rules here, for example, uh, w- one rule is that you can't have the Latin Mass and, um, you know, the new, the Novus Ordo, the new, the new Mass that cannot be celebrated at the same church. Or at least you cannot have a, a priest who does both, like on the same day. Um, rules like that. You know, so while they say that this is about unity and not division, they're actually creating more division in an effort to send the Latin Mass more to the sidelines, marginalize it, marginalize it, uh, make it harder and harder to keep it going uh, so that, so that there, there, there's really no place for it to go. And if you want to celebrate the Latin Mass, you're not going to be able to find anywhere to do it and then to get rid of it. But this is, this, is divi- this is like a divide and conquer kind of strategy in the name of unity. And I know if you're not, you know, this is the kind of thing, it's very inside baseball. So if you're not Catholic, you think, well, what's, what's the significance of that? Why does it matter to me? And it's not going to affect you in your daily life if you're, not, if you're not a Catholic. Even if you are a Catholic, most Catholics don't go to Latin Mass, so it probably won't affect your daily routine very much. There, there are many Catholics, though, who the Latin Mass is, is crucial to them, is very important to them and their spiritual life. And so trying to take it away and in, in doing so, treating them like an enemy will have a profound impact. But the larger theme here is that, um, you know, or I, I guess the larger point is that the Latin Mass appeals greatly to young Catholics especially. This is something, those of us who've been to Latin Mass, we've, we've, you can't help but notice this. When you go into a Latin Mass, you go into a church that celebrates the Latin Mass, 
What do you find? You find young families, young, large families everywhere inside these, these churches. And why is that? Well, because I, I think for a lot of reasons. Number one, young people tend to be have a more kind of revolutionary spirit. And they could take a more critical eye to some of these things. I think maybe older people grew up with this, with what really is the new mass, and they don't really think much about it. They haven't been critical of it. Uh, young people have a more kind of adventurous spirit, or more, or more revolutionary in spirit. But then I also think that younger people growing up in this decaying, empty, secular society are just hunger for something real and true and uh, mystical. You know, they, they, and transcendent, like we talked about last week, transcendence. Uh, they're, they, they hunger for that because they've been deprived of it. And they find that in the Latin Mass. And it's bringing people in and they're finding spiritual nourishment. And Pope Francis and his uh, comrades, they see that as a, as a problem. In fact, they would rather get rid of all those young, younger people. If getting rid of the Latin mass means alienating those younger families and scaring them away, it's, it's fine with him. Because this is a war on tradition when it comes down to it. Really pretty horrifying. Um, next, we got, uh, let's see, there were, there were protests at a school in Fairfax last week over an alleged racist attack against a Muslim student that happened. Here's the uh, CBS affiliate talking about it. An estimated 350 students protested at Fairfax High after they say a student was attacked here Tuesday afternoon because she's Muslim. She couldn't breathe. She was laid on the floor. She couldn't move out of her position. Students accused the school system of trying to sweep the incident under the rug. The school's trying to cover it up and said I had a panic attack, which that did not happen. Ekran Mohammed says some students made racist drawings in a marketing class, became increasingly aggressive, and then one of them assaulted her. My backpack bumped into him, and then he got mad, and he pushed me, and then he grabbed my hijab. Mohammed says he pulled her hijab off, and when she fought back, he shoved her hard into a desk. Everybody was outside waiting for the buses, and we saw the ambulance come into the school. Physically, my whole left side of my body is bruised. Um, mentally, I'm okay because I have all the support around me today. Mohammed says she and the student were given the same punishment, a one-day in-school suspension, which they served Wednesday in the same room where she says the student kept looking at her. That's entirely unacceptable, and, and that's something I want to go back to see with staff how we can do better in the future. County School Board member Abrar Omesh, the only elected official in Virginia who wears a hijab, says she's concerned by the response. The school system told us it is investigating and, quote, no further details can be shared at this stage as administrators work to establish the facts. Fairfax County Public Schools and City of Fairfax Schools support the rights of students to peacefully protest. So there they are protesting over this uh, this hate crime. And, and well, we heard it's a, it's a hate crime. There were racial slurs that were used, um, this uh, anti-Muslim hate crime and all that. So now we get to the twist ending that I'm sure you saw coming from a million miles away. This is from uh, WTOP. It says, a city of Fairfax Police Department investigation has determined that a physical altercation at Fairfax High School on Tuesday was not a hate crime, according to a press release. The investigation revealed there were no racial comments made by either student, according to police. 
Police said that the female student confirmed her hijab became partially undone during the altercation, exposing her hair. The female student told police that the information posted on several social media sites stating that racial comments were used during the altercation were false. Uh, it, not just on social media sites, but as you, as you heard, the media itself has been reporting this. Um, nonetheless, hundreds of students from Fairfax High School in Virginia walked out in protest on Thursday, showing their support for a student they say was attacked in an Islamophobic incident. The student herself is saying that's not what happened. Well, she's saying that now. I think initially that, that that's where they got this story. But very quickly, she backed away. She said there were no racial slurs used. This what, what Here's what it was. It was a, a fight that she got into, a mutual fight, as happens in high schools, uh, with another student. The other student, by the way, not white. So these were two non-white students who got into a fight. And during the fight, her, you know, her uh, headdress was, was partially dislodged and it showed a little bit of her hair. And then this story arises. Now, I don't, I don't know what motivated her to come up with this version of the story. It's not hard to come up with some theories. Maybe one of them is she didn't want to get in trouble for being in a fight, so she, so she came up with the hate crime story instead. It seemed like a pretty logical assumption here. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, who knows? Who knows what motivates these people to invent these kinds of stories? But we know, we know generally speaking what motivates it is that, uh, is that she's growing, growing up in a world and she looks around and she sees that you know, victimhood pays. Uh, victimhood gives you some points. You can cash them in. You can cash in those, those tokens in a lot of different ways and benefit from it. Get yourself out of a tight spot. It's kind of like a get out of jail free card or maybe a get out of suspension free card here. But if you're a rational person, even I, I, I saw this story a couple a few days ago when they were first walking out over this anti, this alleged Islamophobic hate crime. And as, as soon as I saw it, my first reaction was, yeah, that probably didn't happen. Because yet again, it, this is, this is a, it's actually, it's good news. It should be good news. That this sort of thing just isn't happening. It's, it's simply not happening in the country. You're not going into a modern high school in modern America and there are white students tearing the hijabs off of, uh, off of Muslim girls and, and shouting Islamophobic slurs at them. That's not happening. We could celebrate that because that's, that's, that's a great thing that those, these sorts of events aren't happening. Uh, unless, you know, unless victimhood is what you crave, in which case you see that as a bad thing. One of our uh, wonderful and unique customs as Americans is that uh, we use our garages as the, the, the primary entry point in the home. That's what a lot of people do. It's in fact what most, what most houses do. Uh, but the problem is that, that we also overlook the garage, even though it's uh, where we come and go. We keep a lot of our prized possessions there, including our cars and tools and bikes. Um, that's why it's so common sense to, to know what's going on inside the garage. Introducing the MyQ Smart Camera by Chamberlain. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage, brought to you by the leaders in garage door opener technology. With features like live video streaming, recorded events, motion detection, and two-way communication right from your phone, you can make sure your garage is secure 24-7. They also 
Uh, if you pair it with the MyQ Smart Garage Control, that means that you can open and close your garage from anywhere. And if you leave uh, you know, the house and you're worried, did I remember to close the garage? Just go on your phone, take care of it there. It is that easy. The MyQ camera is easy to install and you can quickly connect it to your phone via Bluetooth in the MyQ app. So what are you waiting for? Give the gift of a MyQ Smart Garage camera to tech lovers this season. If you act now, you can save 46% for a limited time by entering Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh. That's Walsh at checkout on myq.com slash Walsh to save 46%. Keep an eye on what's happening in and around your home's busiest entryway with the MyQ Smart Garage camera. It's the only smart camera optimized for the garage. And also, you know, with all of the, uh, with gas prices going through the roof and, uh, inflation in the grocery store, We're going into the holidays. I mean, everything costs more than it should. That's why you got to look to save money where you can. And here's one place where you can, at the gas pump, actually, with the Get Upside app. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents a gallon cash back. You don't have to pay full price at the pump anymore. You can get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. This is free money they're trying to give you. All you have to do is say yes and, and thank you. Like, be polite about it also. Some people who drive a lot are making up to two to $300 a month back just, just because of the cash back on the gasoline. It is that simple, that easy, and that profitable for you. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh. Now let's get to our comment section. The Ghost of Patrick Henry says, I've been listening for years. I do not have a Daily Wire membership or purchase product, but the free content is great. My only gripe are the ads. Can you stop running them? Thanks and Merry Christmas. I think you might be joking here a bit. I want to, I, I want to believe that you are, but this is the attitude a lot of people have. Which is, the, the, you know, they love the content, but they begrudge any attempt that the content creators make to make money off of that content. So I love the content. Keep producing it. I, I really appreciate it. But, but, but don't, don't make a living off of it at all. At all. Don't make, please, any attempt to make a living off of it offends me. So I want this, I want this free content. I want you to provide it for free. And, um, and I want to contribute nothing at all to it. Which, which is, I mean, I understand that attitude. That's the attitude I have about most of the stuff that I consume online. But um, we, we might say it's a little bit of entitlement that goes into that. Zach says, Matt, I'm glad to hear you open, you open up about your closeted bass-headedness. It only makes me agree with your viewpoints even more now. By the way, my favorite three baits are deer crankbaits, swim jigs, and last but not least, frogs slash toads. I don't think I've been closeted about it. I think I've been pretty open, loud and proud. Um, about my my self identification as an angler, and I love the frog baits too. But it's a, you know those are a little bit harder to set the hook on, so you've got to you got to make sure you have the right gear for that. Uh, my ex wife says, Matt, I have to record myself giving a speech for my finals, and I want it to be like one of your old videos. Like what in your car? I don't know if I'd recommend that for your finals. So if you can give me some tips on how I can do that and how to be more confident on camera, the topic of the speech is if guys gossip more than girls. Maybe you can share your thoughts on that. If guys gossip more than girls. Well, I don't think that guys do gossip more than girls. In fact, I'm positive that they don't. Gossiping is, it's not exclusively a girl thing, but it, it mostly is. But here's, I don't want to tell you what to give your speech about, but, but here's an interesting angle to uh, explore. We, we could ask, well, like, why is it that girls gossip so much? 
And I think it's actually rooted in uh, it, it, gossip itself is bad most of the time, but it's 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 rooted in something positive, in a positive female trait, a uh, positive feminine trait, which is which is empathy. You know, women are far more empathetic than men. And being empathetic means that you relate to other people. You know, you really care about other people. And um, what that means is that, you know, the, the negative side of that is that uh, you're going to be talking about other people, what's going on in their lives and everything. And, uh, and, and sometimes you'll be talking about the positive things happening in other people's lives. And sometimes it's going to be the negative things. That's where it's, that's where it's gossip. But I think it's rooted in that empathy. The reason why... Men don't gossip mostly. It's not because we're we, we're morally superior. It's just that we don't care that much about what's happening in other people's lives. We just we just don't care that much. So I would never sit down with another guy and spend thirty minutes. Oh, guess do you know what's happening with so and so and what and, and this? We just we just don't care. It doesn't interest us because uh, we're all a bunch of sociopaths, I guess. A.T. says, I love how Matt Walsh complains about people saying happy holidays while also using the phrase the holidays and happy holidays in the sponsorships that he does. Way to stick with your principles. I don't complain about people saying happy holidays. In fact, I think I've uh, I think I've said several times in the past that I, I think the war on Christmas is real. I think there are real examples of a what you might call a war on Christmas. But somebody wishing you happy holidays, that's not war on Christmas. I, I have, in fact, defended people. Do I don't get upset when I'm at uh, the store or something and the cashier says, happy holidays. That doesn't offend me. It's fine. You know, th- there are multiple holidays happening in this in the season, so it's just kind of a general greeting. Someone's attempting to be nice. Doesn't, doesn't bother me. Um, let's see. The Duke family says, Matt, great show as always. What the commenter meant about Catholicism and its doctrines is that most of the doctrines in the Catholic Church are unbiblical. Mary, papal infallibility are two of the more notable ones. As you yourself frequently say about Joe Biden, you can't be Catholic unless you believe its doctrines. You're left in a tough place there because you have an obvious leftist pope, but you're forced as a Catholic to believe he's the vicar of Christ on earth. Having listened to you for some time, I can say with much certainty that you do not believe that. So you're not Catholic according to your own standards. I will also say I appreciate any time you mention the Bible on your show, but as a Catholic, you are not free to interpret what any passage of the Bible actually means. That's up to your magisterium to interpret for you. Those are both Catholic teachings and doctrines that you will need to deal with going forward. My prayer is that you will leave the Catholic Church and join a church that believes in the true gospel, not a false gospel that Rome teaches. Well, your assumptions about what I believe are not accurate, but I'd like to just focus on on a basic conceptual problem here for a second. Um. You say that the Bible is, uh, is the sole authority. There shouldn't be any doctrines outside of it. And also you lament that as Catholics, that as a Catholic, I am not free to interpret it as I please. And you're right about that last part, but, 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 but here's your problem. First of all, you do not interpret the Bible as you please, which is actually a good thing because that's not how the Bible is meant to be read. Okay, it's not, it's, not a, it's not supposed to be a Rorschach test where it's, it's something different to everybody. Um, and if you, without any kind of ba- framework of understanding or anything, without any training, without any background knowledge, without any instruction from anybody, if you picked up the Bible and tried to read it cover to cover, you're probably going to come to all kinds of conclusions that, that are incorrect. If you had no previous instruction, if nobody was telling you, you know, how to interpret various parts of the Bible. So... But nobody really does that. You no, know, and you didn't do that. Your, your interpretations fall into a system 
that was designed by human beings and passed down to you. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just pointing it out. The idea that uh, doctrines outside of the Bible are not valid is itself a doctrine that itself is not in the Bible. The Bible never says anywhere that you shouldn't accept doctrines outside of it. Also, here's the big issue. The Bible itself was written and compiled by humans, right, and given to you. So I'm not sure how I see how you could accept the Bible without accepting the authority of the person who gave it to you. You know, if someone hands you a book and says, this is the word of God, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to say, oh, I don't trust you. You're full of it. But uh, give me that book. uh, Yeah, sure. I believe that. What are you, based on what? If, If someone hands you something and you accept it as an authority, then you are accepting the authority of the person who handed it to you. Not sure how you get around that exactly. If you didn't accept their authority, then on what basis would you come to believe that this collection of writings is true or meaningful or whatever? Um, now, none of this means that the Bible is not true or the Bible is not, is not the word of God. All I'm, all I'm pointing out is that God worked through people to compile. It, it was not like the Bible was written in the heavens and, and literally descended from the clouds, right? It, was, it, it, it worked through people. And so you're trying to remove people from the equation or the authority of, of people. And I'm not sure how you do that. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Candace Owens doesn't hold back. That's why the Daily Wire sent her to Mar-a-Lago to interview one of the most censored men in America, President Trump, where no question was left off the table. They discuss everything from the potential for another presidential run in 2024 to why he didn't pardon whistleblowers and uh, what he really thinks about Alec Baldwin and many other things. In fact, uh, you know, I, we were just talking about the, the pardons, and I have the same question. What, the, the people that he chose to pardon, the people he chose not to pardon. And I asked uh, Candace, I sent her a message. I said, can you just give me the, you know, we're, we're on the same team. Can you give me the spoiler? What, what, what answer did he give? And she actually told me that uh, I can go to dailywire.com and sign up for a membership for 25% off. That's the answer I was given. So I will be watching along with you. The, the interview uh, was excellent and it streams tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, only at dailywire.com. Also, if you aren't aware, Ben Shapiro just released a new series exclusive to the Daily Wire called The Search. The show is a voyeuristic view of his closest and most influential friends and him as they share inklings and personal lives over coffee. His great friend Jordan Peterson is the first to join him, and it's a truly excellent watch and a fascinating conversation. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get signed up. You can watch that show. And also, there's more. Daily Wire is making it easier to listen to all of our content on the go with our launch of Listen which means you'll now be able to listen to all of your favorite Daily Wire content on the website and the DW app. Listen is here to make soaking up our content as convenient as possible with a limited ad audio experience, whether it's catching Morning Wire with a morning cup of coffee, taking in the latest hot takes from your favorite hosts, or exploring our growing radio theater. You'll get all the content you love, and uh, if you get interrupted, no worries. You can pick up right where you left off with continue listening. So go now, and uh, and, uh, you can listen. And listen, that's why they call it listen. Simple as that. All right, let's get to our daily cancellation. Infamous automaton Mark Zuckerberg has been working overtime to bring his metaverse dream to fruition. And uh, he's noticed, you know, that our lives have already been almost entirely consumed by the internet to the point where most of us are now essentially cyborgs, half robot, half human, except without any of the cool superpowers that cyborgs and science fiction usually possess. In the movies, a cyborg has all of the best qualities of humans and machines. In reality, we have the worst ingredients of both. So we're fat and lazy like people, but we're also amoral and emotionally vacuous like computers. So we're kind of like mermaids, but if the mermaid had a fish's head and a human's body. It's like the worst possible combination. 
A combination more monstrous than mythical, I guess. And this is what our near total reliance on and addiction to the internet has done for us. But Mark Zuckerberg has seen all of this and determined that we still have not invested enough of ourselves into cyberspace. And that's where the metaverse comes in. With the metaverse, we can actually enter into the internet, submerge ourselves in it, lose ourselves inside it like a, like a dream, a bad dream. If you've, if you've ever visited Reddit or you've read the comments under a viral tweet or you scrolled through TikTok and thought to yourself, wow, I wish I could be trapped inside a three-dimensional virtual prison cell with these people, then the metaverse will be right up your alley. But if you're a sane person, you probably feel differently. And yet it doesn't matter how you feel. This is where we're headed. The metaverse is, it, it's happening, whether you like it or not. And 15 years from now, you'll be sitting around your virtual dinner table with your virtual family, eating your virtual food, while your physical body is encased in a pod and connected to wires and tubes. And you'll be telling your virtual child who prefers to use a Peppa the Pig avatar all about the old days when the internet was contained almost exclusively inside your phone. And Peppa will laugh and say, that's silly, daddy. And you'll pretend to laugh too. And nobody will be able to see you cry because they don't have tears in the metaverse. Because Meta President Mark Zuckerberg has declared that, almost, that everyone must always be happy inside his domain. Anyway, so the point is that, that I'm not a big fan of, of this whole idea. But it's happening anyway. And, um, and, uh, and though the metaverse is still in its infancy, it has already had its first Me Too moment. The, the New York Post reports, it says a beta tester, beta tester has claimed that she was virtually groped in the metaverse VR platform Horizon Worlds from Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook. Meta revealed the incident on December 1st, saying it occurred on November 26th. The woman had reported the assault, <laughs> the assault, um, in virtual reality, on the Horizon World's beta testing Facebook group. Sexual harassment is no joke on the regular internet, but being in VR adds another layer that makes the event more intense, she wrote, according to The Verge. Not only was I groped last night, but there were other people there who supported this behavior, which made me feel isolated in the plaza the virtual environment's central gathering space. Severe encounters of online harassment, including physical threats, stalking, and repeated harassment, are on the rise, according to a 2020 Pew Research poll, with the percentage of users reporting such incidents jumping from 15% in 2014 to 25% today. While much of it takes place on social media, VR is uh, still nascent and already an apparent venue for harassment. Horizon World's operated by VR company Oculus, which is also owned by Meta, Meta is a build, build as a pleasant, productive digital escape, a place to create in extraordinary ways and find experiences that matter with your avatar friends. Groped virtually on the internet is what we're dealing with. And that's a pretty serious crime, we have to admit. In fact, it brings back the trauma that I suffered as a child when I was virtually assaulted by a South Asian man with very long arms while playing Street Fighter. At another point, playing a different game, I was virtually cannibalized by a huge yellow head. I have been virtually beaten, shot, stabbed, tortured in all manner of ways. Though I suppose I'm no saint myself, in the same game, Street Fighter, I committed virtual battery against an obese a sumo wrestler, which was arguably a hate crime as well, given that the victim was a video game character of color. But then again, my character was green, so I'm not sure how this all works. Uh, I don't know how we work out the intersectionality part of that. But anyway, a little bit more from the article. It says, in its statement about the incident, um, Meta pointed to its safe zone feature, which allows users to place a block against interaction with other users. However, the company admitted that it needs to work on making the feature trivially easy and findable, says Vivek Sharma, the vice president of Horizon, in a statement to The Verge. Meta spokesperson Christina Milian also told MIT Technology Review that users are required to complete training that covers safeguarding tools before joining Horizon World, 
while reminders, uh, re reminders are also prompting, prompted during users' experiences. Sexual harassment in virtual reality is sexual harassment in real life, full stop, experts have said. Quote, at the end of the day, the nature of virtual reality spaces is such that it is designed to trick the user into thinking they are physically in a certain space, that their every, that their every bodily action is occurring in a 3D environment. Catherine Cross, a PhD student researcher on, on online harassment at the University of Washington, told uh, Technology Review, quote, it's part of the reason why emotional reactions can be stronger in that space and why VR triggers the same internal nervous system and psychological responses. Those who have suffered sexual harassment in VR, VR elsewhere say that Meta's safe zone feature isn't enough. Okay, so sexual harassment in virtual reality is sexual harassment in real life, according to experts. It's the same. I wonder if they've asked any actual real-life victims of sexual assault. You know, people who've had their physical bodies violated, not the bodies of cartoon characters on the internet. How do they feel about this? Do they agree that their experience was exactly the same as the experience of somebody whose fake metaverse avatar was fake groped by another fake character in a fake world? I'm guessing they'd say no. Another big difference between real-life assault and virtual assault these real victims might point out, is that the virtual victim can simply turn off their headset and the problem goes away. No such escape valve exists for the real-life victim, they might remind us. But then again, you know, they aren't the experts. The experts are the experts. And we know who the experts are because they belong to a group called the experts, and the media tells us how they feel about stuff like this. And we're supposed to nod our heads in agreement and say nothing else. Now, this is all quite ludicrous, of course. By definition, you cannot be groped in virtual reality because groping is a physical act. Nothing physical is occurring in that realm. There's a, there's a reason we don't prosecute people for vehicular homicide based on incidents that occur in Mario Kart. And yet, and yet at the same time, Catherine Cross, the PhD researcher, she, she's correct when she says that VR technology tricks the user into thinking they are physically in a certain space. But the key word is tricks. It's not real. They're not actually in that space. Nothing that happens to them in that space is actually happening to them. It's happening to a computer code on a screen. So one computer code is interacting with another computer code. It feels real, but it's not. But the fact that people can be fooled in this way, you know, that, that doesn't mean that we need more rules or, or policies or regulations, or that we have to have legal protections put in place for cartoon avatars. You know, we don't need laws that will wind up putting 12-year-olds behind bars for first-degree homicides committed in Call of Duty. That's not the conclusion that we should draw from this. Here is the conclusion. That the internet is often not very good for your brain. And virtual reality will be even worse. The fact that virtual reality tricks you and makes it hard to distinguish between reality and virtual reality is not an argument for treating virtual reality like it's reality. But it may be an argument for not using virtual reality at all. The last thing we need is yet another tool to tear us away from our physical existence and immerse us in a world that is fake but feels real. That's the last thing we need. And that's the lesson here. We don't need more virtual reality. We need, we need more reality reality. That's the world we should be living in most of the time. So that's why, in the end, I think the metaverse is what we have to cancel today. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. A Swedish company wants to implant a vaccine passport microchip into your arm. Dr. Fauci says we'll never fly without masks again. And West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin derails Joe Biden's entire legislative agenda. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.